the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the mouths of all who preach in the 350,000 churches that exist in this country and those that exist all around this world, may the words that are spoken be not from newspaper articles or social activities, but may the words spoken be from your word. And may the meditation of each heart that is brought by your Spirit to that worship service, wherever it might be, whether it's someplace in Henrietta, Georgia, where there are three people gathered for worship, or out there at Saddleback, where 25,000 are gathered, may the meditation of your people's hearts be blessed by the Spirit who is amongst us all. Such things we ask in our Savior's name. Amen. Sometimes I have reasons for preaching on certain texts. Mother's Day, Father's Day, Memorial Day, celebration next weekend. But sometimes I preach a message where I don't really know why I'm preaching it. I don't know why I'm preaching it. It's a message that comes back to me. I put it aside. I say I don't feel comfortable and it comes back to me. And when it keeps coming back to me, then I know that, that I'm supposed to preach it. Maybe for one person out of the 500 or 600 who will worship this weekend, or those who will listen to it on the radio somewhere down the road. <clears throat> the message is entitled, You Are Not Alone. You Are Not Alone. You Are Not Alone. Galatians 6 says, carry each other's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. Carry each other's burdens. Uh, But let's face it, when burdens come into our life, there's only one person who can carry that burden, and that's that individual. Connie and I love John dearly. Uh, We could not carry the burden of his cancer for him. We could have no imagination of what that dear boy was going through. And for any one of us, when we are faced with some life situation, and rare is the person in this sanctuary who has not faced some life situation or is facing it even as we speak. Carry each other's burdens. Indeed, we shall do our best. But when some burden comes upon you, you are the one who carries it. There is one who helps lift the load. We know him well. He says to us in Matthew 11, 28, Come to me with your burdens, and I will give you rest. Your friends will never say to you, Come to me with your burdens, and I'll give you rest, because they don't have the power. They may say, Come to me, talk to me whenever, and they are a great uplifting, I pray for you. They are a great uplifting. Your friends and family can be angels sent by God in the moments of trial and burden. They are angels sent by God to help you carry the burden. But it was only Jesus who had the power to say, Bring to me your burdens. Leave them with me, and I will give you my rest. 
The six days of creation, five times in six days, God used one phrase. The phrase was, this is good. He created land and sea, and he said, this is good. He created the plants and the animals, and he said, this is good. And he produces seed-bearing trees and bushes, and he said, this is good. And if you look at it, on the sixth day, when all of creation was done and the seventh day he rested, God said, this is very good. This is very good. He looked at everything he had created, and he patted himself on the back, and he said, this is very good. Who is he saying that to? He's saying that to Jesus, part of the Trinity involved in creation. Colossians chapter 2. He was saying it to the Holy Spirit, who hovered over the waters of the deep, And then when God said, let there be light, the Holy Spirit comes rushing down and does his work. Everything he had created, he said, this is good. And then a week or a month, I wish I knew for sure. I wish I knew for sure the first time that God threw in a negative. He looked at Adam and he said, this is not good. Uh, What was going on with Adam? God said, this is not good. Was it something health-wise? Did, he have, did Adam have cancer? Did he have some illness come into the body? No, sin had not yet entered the world. This is not good. It wasn't with regards to his health. Had Adam borrowed too much money? Was this a financial issue? Was God saying, this is not good, man. You have $100,000 debt here. No, it wasn't that. Was it problems with the kids? Were, were his teenagers... Uh, causing him difficulty. No, the kids weren't there yet. Cain and Abel weren't there yet. Was it his wife? A marital relation. This is not good, Adam. You're fighting with your wife. No, she isn't here yet. Eve isn't arrived yet. What in the world is God talking about when he says, this is not good? I'll give you the answer because God gave the answer. This is not good, that man should be alone. This is not good, that man should be alone. And then the sleep comes upon Adam. God takes the rib and hears Eve as his helpmate, as his companion. This is not good, that man should be alone. People say at times they, they don't mean harm by it. They say at times when someone says, I'm lonely, I don't have any friends, I'm, I'm lonely, my wife has died. I'm lonely, I have this illness, no one understands it because they haven't been through what I'm going through. And God sends angels, people who have been through the same circumstance you have been, and all of a sudden you have someone who can latch on to you, and you can latch on to them, and you can lift each other up because you have someone who has been through the same thing you have, which is why there are so many therapy groups of every shape, size. It's not good, Adam, that you are alone and no issue has happened. Do you understand? It's not Alcoholics Anonymous because there's no issue that's gone on in his life that he needs help with. And yet God says it's not good that man should be alone. And for the people who say you have God, you shouldn't feel lonely. Who had more of God than Adam? 
Every single day, morning, afternoon, and evening, God would come in the garden. They'd walk hand in hand through that garden. Who had more of God than Adam? Adam did not come to God and say, God, I I hate to be critical, man. I mean, this is the most beautiful place on the planet. And I don't have any aches and pains, and sin hasn't entered the world yet. He he could have said to God, "I, I hate to bother you, man, but I need somebody. The wild animals aren't doing the trick for me. I need somebody. Some flesh and blood person to talk with and empathize with and and all the rest. I need somebody. Adam didn't ask God. God came to him. And God said, it's not good for him to be alone. I speculate. Psalm 139 says, God knows our thoughts While they're still within us, he knows the words we're going to speak before they come out of our mouth. So I'm sitting there wondering if Adam, in that garden, has these thoughts of how absolutely lonely and alone he is. I'm wondering if he's having those thoughts. And then God, Psalm 139, God knows his thoughts. And maybe that's why God said it's not good for man to be alone. Or maybe God figured it out on his own. I have Adam, Adam has me, but Adam needs someone else. It's not good for man to be alone. It wasn't just Adam. It wasn't just Adam. It was Jesus. <laughs> Who had more of God than Jesus? My goodness gracious. John ten thirty. I and the Father are one. No one ever in the history of mankind will be closer to God than Jesus. Did Jesus need someone other than God? You better believe it. He chooses 12 disciples. If I ask you why he chose 12 disciples, you would say, well, he needed to train somebody. And he needed to teach somebody. And I would tell you, indeed, he did. But the Bible also says, in Mark's beautiful phrasing, Gospel of Mark, it says... Jesus called the disciples that they might be with him. He called the disciples that they might be with him. That he might have somebody that he could talk to and walk with and discuss things with. And he called the disciples that they might be with him. Did he teach them? Yes. Did the Holy Spirit come to them and bring total understanding? Yes. But Jesus, dare I say, Jesus needed them. It's not good for man to be alone, even if you're the son of man. And when those periods of great stress came, who do you call friends, family? When the period of great stress came, did not Jesus say to Peter, James, and John, Go up the mountain with me. I do not want to be alone. It's a few weeks before the cross, and Jesus is feeling the weight of the cross, and he said, Peter, James, and John, Come up the mountainside with me. Do not want to be alone. They get very sleepy. They fall asleep there on the mountainside. Here is God. He understands it's not good for Jesus to be alone. Which is why he brought those 12 disciples into Jesus' life. 
Jesus didn't call Nettie Schumann and say, I want to join a small group. Jesus formed his own small group and handpicked them. And some of the ones he handpicked, you're wondering, you're wondering if he wished he could have done it differently. He had some feisty ones there. They fall asleep on the mountainside. What does God do? God says, it's not good for my son to be alone. I'm going to bring Moses down from heaven. He'd been up in heaven for 1,500 years. I'm going to bring him down. Because it's not good for my son to be alone. And I'm going to bring down Elijah from heaven. He'd been up there 700 years. But I'm going to bring him down just for a few minutes so that my son is not alone. And if that doesn't do the trick, then God has one big piece left. Are you ready? Hmm. So that Jesus would not feel alone. It was God himself who said to him, You are my beloved son. I'm so proud of you. I'm so pleased with you. And do you not think that when God made that statement to Jesus, the loneliness that was in him dissipated for a time? Parents, do you praise your children? I know when they make an error in the field, you bring that up. I know when they get a D on their report card, you bring that up. But I'm saying to you, do you praise your children? For the A's, B's, and C's, do you praise your children? Maybe they didn't get a hit. Maybe they struck out three times, but did they get a foul ball before they struck out? Do you praise your children? Do you praise your spouses? Do you praise your friends? Just read an article yesterday. It says how rare it is for people to praise other people when good things happen to them. And I'm scratching my head. How rare it is for one person to praise another person when something good happens. And then it goes into a deep discussion of low self-esteem and da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Have you praised somebody? God did it twice with his son. At the baptism, just before he goes alone into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, he praises him to give him strength. And before he goes to that cross on the Mount of Transfiguration, he praises him. I do not need to tell you about loneliness. I don't care how handsome you are, how pretty you are, how charismatic you are. I don't care. I don't think there's a human being on this earth who has not touched the cold fingers of loneliness. You've been married a long time. Your spouse dies. There is one thing that etches itself into your soul, and that is loneliness. My dear mama, for two years after dad died, before she went to heaven, every time I called her, I knew, like clockwork, that word was going to come out of her mouth. Paul, I'm just so lonely. Dad and I were married 68 years. We knew each other 72 years. We had known each other so long, an entire day could go by, and we wouldn't say a word to each other except good morning and good night. But when he is not here, his presence is gone. I said, Mama, you got Mark and Al and Tim. They live within five minutes of you. They're over all the time. Rebecca, my sister, is living with you, Mama. And she said, Paul, you don't understand. And I said, yes, I do. Yes, I do. My apologies, Mom. 
I do understand loneliness. You ask a college student what his most difficult time was in college, how many will say, it was a lunch hour. Because I would go into that lunchroom and I wouldn't know anybody and I'd go sit by myself in the corner. Loneliness, loneliness, loneliness. You have some illness. Your spouse doesn't have it. Your children don't have it. You have it. They will never understand what you are going through. God will send them into your life to lift you up. He'll send other people into your life to lift you up. And he will be there to help you carry it. He'll be there. I'm going to say two things to you. God has a solution for loneliness, plain and simple. God has a solution for loneliness. And it's for you to be involved in other people's lives. It's for you to be involved in other people's lives. Was there anyone busier than Jesus? No. Was there anyone lonelier than Jesus? No. Not with the burden he had. But he spent his time with others. I interviewed a man this past week, mid-40s, member of this church, sings at Reveal at 11 o'clock. He was down in Texas. He was a custodian at a school. He worked his way up the ladder, became an administrator of schools. He told me that he would go, receiving permission from his boss, he would go to the lunchroom uh, at the lunch hour. And he would say, Pastor, I would look for some child, some student sitting by themselves. And when I, I would go over to them and I would say, do you mind if I join you? He said, I, I looked for someone sitting by themselves. And I would talk to them. And if a situation was going on in their life, I would go to the counselor of the school and I would say to them, Here's what's happening in Johnny's life. Don't tell him, I told you. But I just want you to be aware that uh, her, his, his mom has breast cancer or, or mom and dad are going through a difficult time. Or... And I said, my goodness gracious, you had a heart for them. He said, yes, because that was me. That was me when I was growing up. You reach out to others. There was a student at Sandberg High School a number of years ago, ranked third in a class of 900. And he had straight A's and he bumps into a teacher his freshman year. And she takes a dislike to the young man. Whenever he turned in in the English class, he would get D's and F's on it. And finally the parents got involved and they went to the assistant principal and said to him, He's a straight-A student. He's ranked number third in his class. He'd be ranked number one if this teacher wasn't out for him. And they met with the teacher and with the parents and with the students, and they quickly removed him from that class and gave him to another teacher, another English teacher. And that English teacher was a night and day difference for this lonely young man. And at the end of that school year, the parents, the father, wrote a letter to the teacher and said to her, you'll never imagine the impact you had on our son. 
you'll never imagine what your kindness did for our son. And we'll always remember you and thank you. She wrote a letter back to that father about a week later. She said, I've been teaching 35 years. And I have never received a letter of thanks from anybody. She said, teaching is a lonely profession. You have thousands of students over the course of your career, but the nature of the job, it's a lonely existence. She said, when I retire, I'm going to sit in the rocking chair and I'm going to read your letter over and over again. How do you ease loneliness? You reach out to others. Word, letters, emails, encouragements. You reach out to others. And you pray for them. My final word is to remind you that God is with you. My mother, I told you before, my mother, when I flew down to Texas after dad died and I I walk into the room. She doesn't say, hi, Paul. She doesn't say anything except, how does anyone get through this without God? If you ask me what phrase I hear most in the entirety of a one-year period of time, it is that phrase. 25, 30, 40 times a year, that's like once a week, I hear the phrase, how does anyone get through this without God? I've heard it from a nine-year-old whose mother had breast cancer. I've heard it from a 17-year-old who was having a very difficult and lonely time at a new school. And I've heard it from endless people with endless circumstances. How does anyone get through this without God? Many of you know that personally, do you not? And many others of you are beginning to know it now. God is with you. Closing word. Since we don't have communion today, right? Closing word. Matthew 25, look at it carefully. Said it to you before, at least a couple of times a year, the last five years. When Jesus said his last parable, come into the kingdom prepared for you, he then said... You saw the hungry and you fed them, the thirsty you gave them something to drink. The naked you put clothes on them, those in prison you visited them. Those who were ill you came to them. Do you remember what I said? It's not just talking about food like feed my starving children food. It's talking about people being alone. You saw someone hungry for companionship and you went out of your way in that high school You went out of your way in that cafeteria to make sure that someone was sitting next to them. You went out of your way. Your next door neighbor lost their spouse. You kept saying to your spouse, how sad, how sad, how sad, how sad. And finally, your spouse said, let's go over there. Let's bring an apple pie. Let's bring some wine coolers. Let's sit on the back porch with him and let's make it a regular habit. You saw someone hungry and thirsty for companionship. You saw someone naked or ill because they didn't have anybody. Leslie Weatherhead said, loneliness is a disease of the soul. And you went to them. 
That's why I go to veterans' homes in Mantino. That's why I go to Hope's Children Hospital, another hospital sitting in the waiting room, because they are alone, many of them. And then they're not just hungry for companionship, they're hungry because you have God and they don't. They're thirsty because you have God and they don't. You have God, they don't. Story last week, the two bodybuilders there at LA Fitness. And the one says, I'm shutting it down. And the other says, why are you shutting it down? You've only been here an hour. And he says, my boy has a baseball game tomorrow morning. And he's going to go to church today. Parkview, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And the big guy next to him says, my son and daughter have baseball and softball and cheerleading, but you have something for your children that my children don't have. You have God and you have church. And this big bodybuilder understood that this man, in making that comment, was saying, I am hungry and thirsty and naked because I don't have God. And you remember what he said. I'm going to go home. You're going to take a shower. You're going to call your wife and your and you're going to bring your child and your wife here at the gym. I'm going to pick you up in an hour and we're going over to Parkview. He knew the man was hungry because God let those words come out of that man's life. You have something I don't. You have God. And your children have God and I do not. And that man was feeding a hungry and thirsty and naked individual. God be with each of us. God be with each of us. God be with each of us. May he send angels into your life as he has done many, many times in my life. And may this God, who you know is real, may you lift up your hands to him. He is more powerful than any circumstance you'll ever face on this earth. In our Savior's name, amen. Would you rise as we pray? You understood it, Lord. The job you had that no one else in the history of mankind would have, the job you had that would actually lead you to say, my God, my God, why have you left me alone? Why have you forsaken me? You understood loneliness, and perhaps that is the reason you went to people who had any sort of needs, including the man in the gospel possessed by a demon. You went everywhere. You went everywhere, 10,000 people surrounding you, because you wanted to heal them and ease their loneliness and prove to them that you were the Son of God by the power and love that you had. Heavenly Father, be with your children. May there never be a moment, as I pray every day for my family, May there never be a moment today for any of us or those we love that we do not realize your presence, your peace, and your strength. In our Savior's name, amen. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.